Welcome to Circle Sanctuary Network Podcast, brought to you by Circle Sanctuary, one of the oldest nature spirituality churches in the United States, connecting people of nature-centered paths around the world. Join us through the week for a variety of shows discussing various topics, celebrating the divine in all of its forms, through nature worship, rituals, education, and building bridges of community. Welcome to our show. My name is Deborah Rose, and I'm your host on Circle Talk. Circle Talk is one of the shows featured on CSNP, Circle Sanctuary Network podcast. CSNP has a lineup of rotating shows throughout each month. Mondays feature Lunatic Mondays with host Laura Gonzalez. It can't be Tuesday without Circle Talk, and I'm the host of this fun discussion show that happens on the first and third Tuesday of each month. Wednesdays feature Circle of Nature with none other than Selena Fox. The second and fourth Friday of each month features Songs of the Pagan Tribe, hosted by Kern Greenman. Less talk, more pagan music, exploring songs, people, and the wonderful, inspiring world of pagan music. And the third Fridays of each month features Blue Marble, an echo-educational, echo-restorational, and echo-spirituality podcast that features activists, adventures, stories about climate impacts with climate solutions, and how you can manifest good energy for the planet. Would you like to celebrate the, um, the full moon with others? Come celebrate the next full moon online with Circle Sanctuary Community. The theme is Harvest and takes place on Friday, September 29th. Full moon circles begin at 7 p.m. Central Time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Mountain, or 4 p.m. Pacific. Circle Sanctuary full moon circles include invocations, music, meditations, poetry, reflection, and ritual workings. They are facilitated by Circle Sanctuary Ministers, Reverend Selena Fox and Reverend Judith Sizes, plus other members of the Circle Sanctuary community. Those joining online are invited to bring a candle to Kindle during the ritual and are invited to interact with others in the chat on YouTube. Attendance is free and no registration is required. For more information, please go to circlesanctuary.org. Have you ever lost a loved one in the hospital or were visited by a chaplain who provided comfort and helped a family deal with death and loss? Most of us are familiar with hospital chaplains, but what do you do if you have a sick um, pet or cat? Well, you can call an animal chaplain. Animal chaplains provide support for animals and humans who love them. Tonight on Circle Talk, I'm very excited. We're going to be talking with Sarah A. Bowen about her new book, Sacred Sendoffs, an animal chaplain's advice for surviving animal loss and making life meaningful and healing the planet. Sarah is an animal chaplain and co-founder of Compassion Consortium, the first interfaith, interspiritual, and interspecies community for people who care about and advocate for animals and the planet, where she leads the Animal Chaplaincy Training Program. She also champions animals through death, creates sacred memorial rituals, cancels, counsels humans grieving animal loss, and advocates for exploited and endangered species in both religious and secular contents, contexts. An award-winning author, her latest book, Sacred Sendoffs, an Animal Chaplain's Advice for Surviving Animal Loss, 
making life meaningful and trying to heal the planet. And it is through Monkfish Publishing. And it is on Amazon because I have a copy. A columnist, a columnist on animal and human relationships for, she's also a columnist for animal and human relationships for spirituality and health magazine. Her work has also appeared in Tricycle, Religion Dispatches, Psychology Today, and Animal Culture Magazine. She's a passionate speaker and teacher, and she has presented at the, the United World's Interfaith Harmony Work, part of the world's religions, where I met her, the Spiritual Directors Interfaith, International, Best Friends National Conference, and the Chapin C. Innovational Lab. We're very excited to have her, and let's bring Sarah to Circle Talk. Welcome, Sarah. Oh, it's so nice to be with you, Deborah, and the folks of Circle Sanctuary, and whoever else is listening today. So we met at the Parliament of World's Religions in August in uh, Chicago. How did you How did you like it? You know, I always call Parliament Spiritual Comic Con because it feels oh, that's like a really that, good idea. doesn't it? Yeah, it's, you know, we end up with six to 7,000 7, people, people from 92 countries that practice over 200 different spiritual traditions all in one right. building or one big building together. Right. And it's a, it's a little overwhelming and it's a little exciting and it's a great place for making connections like we made. Absolutely. It is. And I tell everybody, save your pennies. It is just, that is my thing third parliament it was that your first parliament or had you been before uh, that was my second where where's where the first one did you go to uh i was in toronto last time you, that's the one i missed i couldn't go i had a a child who had a i had a grandchild board so i didn't get to go but anyway um yeah i heard it was wonderful so i i went to salt lake city so it is it's something that's um it's just really really different and it just exposes you to so many different ideas and so many different faiths. And even though there's, as you said, 200 different faiths, what I always come away with is, to be honest, how much we are alike. So, it, yeah, it is. There, you know, there's such a beauty in the specificity of each of our traditions and what they look like and what our rituals are and what's meaningful to us. You know, there's nothing like being in a room where there's a Chinese dragon coming down at you while African drums Absolutely. are beating. And behind them is a dozen guys playing kilt, uh, playing bagpipes and kilts, right? To see right. the specificity and the beauty of, of the traditions around the world. And then when you start talking to people, what's so wonderful is underneath that, is to see the values we share, even though they show Absolutely. up differently in the world to see the values we share. So it was really nice to be able to mix and mingle with people. And, and I love to run up to people and just say, who are you and what are you doing and how do you make meaning and what's important to you? And that's just a way of, I think, um, meeting more of the creatures of the earth. I, I totally agree. And everybody, um, has to be pretty open to usually go to a conference like that. And people are just curious, no matter what your faith is about other people's faith, what type of rituals you have. And so, yeah, a lot of people ask me questions. I in turn ask other people questions. So yeah, it was really, it was really fun. So uh, I don't know. Do you have any hint of where it's going to be next? I, I don't, I'm going to presume that it may be in South America or could be in Europe just because it's been in North America or Canada for the last few. Right. 
So I right. can't think that, but y- you know, you never know. I had a, a big surprise. I actually got, <laughs> I got surprise croned at this one. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't wait to see what happens at the next one. <laughs> Absolutely. So you got to meet Selena, Selena Fox, who is, uh, uh, the founder of Circle Sanctuary, who who's the ministry that does these podcasts, was at the participated in leading the croning. Yeah, so, I've uh, known I've known I've known a lot of folks from Circle Sanctuary, and it's so nice to to be here and and connect because I I know that the earth based traditions and and many of the the pagan and the Wiccan and the you know whatever words we're using around here these days um, really uh-huh. have this care and concern. Um, for animals, for the earth, for habitats, and for many of the things that we animal chaplains are are advocating for. So there's a lot of synchronicities. And I even found myself a couple of years ago, uh, I went through my uh, year and a day training uh, with a with a, a Wiccan group uh, so that I could, you know, get this cycle of the year going a little bit better within my own life, being a, a, a spiritual mutt. Right. I have probably right. now about 15 different traditions I might be practicing as someone who teaches interfaith and, and lives interfaith and, and speaks interfaith. You know, you, you never quite know which tradition I'm going to pull on, but it's nice to have um, that cycle of the year that I really, really appreciate about the earth based traditions. Yeah. When did you realize it's funny? Um, um all my grandchildren love animals and and I think most children innocently adore all animals but I have one grandchild my granddaughter who is especially drawn to animals and who is very um cherishes them very quiet and careful and it's funny to watch her because you know the other ones will like try to pet and she doesn't she very instinctively is gentle and goes up quiet and it's funny because i thought oh i wonder if she's going to be a veterinarian or not thinking maybe she'll be an animal chaplain but what it's just interesting that the difference that she's so attuned to animals so young when did you first realize that animals were your calling and that you had a special relationship with them i was very young too i was five or six years old and I can remember, and my mother remembers with laughter, but and I remember um, being very called and concerned about animals who had died specifically. And we had cats in our house, right? I lived in a cat house, good, good old black cats, a whole string of them. Um, but I was really concerned when I was outside walking uh, home from school or I was out playing and I would find little chipmunks or squirrels or birds that had lost their lives. And so I would I would very carefully take a stick and I would kind of push them out of the road into my lunchbox. Aww. That was back in the day. Remember the big old metal lunchboxes? Yes, yeah. Right? So I went through a lot of lunchboxes, but I, I'd push the little creature into my lunchbox and I would I would shut it and then I would take it home. And then I would do ritual. I would have a little ceremony at home and I would dig a hole. And I would put the little creature in it and I would always end it with, may the force be with you, chipmunk. <laughs> because That's so fun. I, I'm a child of, you know, the Star Wars years. Uh-huh. And I had this father who was, uh, my father was a, a Christian pastor. So I knew how to revere the dead, right? right. I knew that, I knew that, that bodies when they died um, should be revered, should be honored, that we should care for them. But I, you know, hadn't seen in my church 
how we would be taking care of of animals and animals are often left out of religious conversations which is why i do the work i do now uh, but I, I started doing that very, very young, and and I kept doing that, and then I got involved in animal rescue and different kinds of um, animal-related protection organizations and and different things along the way. And what I started to notice was I had this this concern for animals and this kind of tuning in to creatures um, in a way that just felt very natural. And felt very much part of me, um, you know, to to be able to sit and to, you know, hang out with with the birds outside, you know, for a while. Or there's nothing for me like meditating with squirrels. I, I cannot stop talking about squirrels because I have a lot of them around me. They're on they're in every country. Um, they're, you know, they're plentiful and yet in that's a lot so of funny because I'm a big squirrel fan too. I think that's I'm a pack rat. I'm I, I like to collect things, and so I—I I, I think my total animal squirrel is a is a yeah, hard thing. Is I the, can't remember where they are. I think I'm they're very—they're very joyful. Um, yeah. They are very—they're very, they're very um, bouncy and kind of fun to watch. Um, there's also, you know, it's also legal in a lot of states to shoot them as nuisances. Yeah. So there's that tension. Mm-hmm. There's a tension yeah. in our world of. Um, how we love and we care for animals and also how uh, we as a society or we as societies are, are treating them. So as I got older, that's what my work, you know, evolved into is, you know, looking at these, these places where human needs and animal needs kind of rub up against each other in friction. And, you know, what do you do when a bear comes into a neighborhood and half the community wants to, you know, let the bear live and the other half of the community wants to, you know, shoot the bear, get the bear out. You know, how do you get in those kind of conflict resolution spaces? So animal chaplains, yes, we do things around pets and and animal companions and when they die in funerals and memorials and end of life and, and the doula work and all of that. Uh, and we also do work with wildlife and we also do work with exploited animals and, and different kind of kind of spaces like that. And then the, the last thing that I learned as the work deepened for me was how many people who work with animals were drowning in compassion fatigue and empathetic distress. Um, veterinarians have the third highest suicide rate of any oh, profession in the United States. So, you know, that's sad, isn't it? Yeah. So we have a lot of people who are working with animals who are also hurting. uh, So animal chaplains support them, too. So there you go. Animal chaplains in a nutshell. Well, then tell what. Well, I'm going to expand that nutshell um, of our squirrel metaphor. I know. Right. I just thought about that. (laughs) Tell me, explain, because, again, a lot of people, I use example when I was um, doing promo and talking about the show, a lot of people are familiar with people chaplains you know somebody needs help and if nothing else you reach your ear um but uh animal chaplaincy and it's funny because i had not heard of it before which is when i met you at parliament i got so excited and, and i read your book and i loved your book and as i've talked about this show to people people are really excited i don't think that's a concept that's really well known in the mainstream public um, tell me how you got started. Uh, you were training. Tell me about animal chaplaincy. Yeah. So, you More know, it, depth. it's a growing, it's a growing profession. Uh, there's a growing need for it. 
70% of households in the United States right now are people who are living with another species. 70%. Wow. 70%. That's a lot. 70%, right? So the vast majority of us are living with cats and dogs and rabbits and, you know, mm-hmm. whoever, whoever we're living with. And so these issues come up and, and what was happening was people uh, who had a religious or spiritual home would, you know, have a problem like an animal's dying or you have to make a decision at end of life or there's been an injury or an accident. And what do you do? And they were asking their clergy uh, or asking whoever was, you know, their rabbi or whoever was in their their center, um, you know, whoever was in spiritual leadership, you know, what do I do about this? And a lot of folks who go through mainstream education, uh, spiritual education and religious education, um, don't do that as a topic. So they don't really have answers. Uh, so I have a lot of people who call me and say, you know, I went to the priest and, you know, my animal died and I wanted him to help me. And he said, we don't do anything with animals. You know, so animal chaplains fill that that kind of space where that gap, mm-hmm. that gap where someone wants support, someone needs support, someone needs to be listened to, they need to be affirmed, they may have questions. Uh, oh, there's that good old question about do animals have souls? Do animals have spirits? Mm-hmm. You know, all of these kind of questions that 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 we can we can talk about. Um, you know, and what do I do? And what do I do? And how do I honor? And how do I revere? whether it's a cat I've been living with for 15 years or it's a squirrel I found on the side of the road, or it's, you know, a a captive animal um, who just died. uh, Lolita just died after 50 years in captivity. How do we honor her? Um, You know, an orca. So those kind of questions. So animal chaplaincy developed um, kind of came up at the same time that all of the research was being done around pet loss and bereavement in the mm-hmm. 1980s. So, you know, you, we can go back and we can track back to St. Francis and we can track back to, you know, Buddhist monks who care about sentient beings, right? We can, we can go all the way back in traditions, but animal chaplaincy as a, as a vocation really starts catching on in the, in the seventies and the eighties. Yeah. I've only had, I've not had any personal experience. I've only had one experience. um, And I do not know if it was a certified animal chaplain, but somebody I was very close to probably about five years ago. um, And he was not a very emotional, touchy feely man, but he had a family pet, a dog who he had been there for, you know, 12, 15 years. And the dog had cancer and was deteriorating and someone had um and his boys even though they were older i think they were all in college or high school in college um were really really struggling this has been a family pet so um the veterinarian actually recommended an animal hospice which he at the time is like you know i don't think much about it i'll do it for the boys and he came back and again he was not a touchy feely man he got tears in his eyes and he talked about how beautiful this experience ended up being and how this person had guided them to be there with their pet. You know, she, you know, they, she was put to sleep while they were there wrapped up in the blanket. She always slept in. And, and he was talked about how emotional and it, and, and he said, that's how I want to go. That was such a good experience. And so when I saw your book and I met you immediately came to mind, which would make me interested because again, he, it was 
this he is not someone who talked about a lot of emotional things and this was such a moving meaningful experience and the other thing that caught me is he said he realized that this process and this ritual per se that they went through allowed them all to have closure so you know it 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 helped them go along in the grief process what are your thoughts yeah so so you use the word ritual a number of times and so have i and so i want to start there in that you know there used to be this idea uh, that, you know, when, when the cat or the dog was at the end of their life, you, you know, you took them to the vet and the vet would right. very, very kindly and very compassionately put the animal quote unquote to sleep, to sleep. Um, right. and that it was very much a medical procedure. Mm-hmm. And, and what people started to realize was that medical procedure when not followed by some sort of emotional support for the people who are still living. Um, leads to incomplete grief, leads to invalidated grief, leads to, you know, a bunch of mess. And, and the same thing that we noticed was, and drawing on some of some of the Buddhist beliefs, I will for just a moment, um, in what happens with animals at the end of their life in the in the Buddhist belief system, there's a seven week period called the bardo, in which animals are transitioning from uh, earthly form to their next form in the in mm-hmm. the what's next and during that seven weeks that what we do matters and what we do assists them in them taking the next form or whatever they're doing now indigenous practices have some similar beliefs and i know that mm-hmm. some folks doing earth-based traditions have some similar beliefs right about mm-hmm. what we can do to help spirits mm-hmm. along what we can transition. help exactly, exactly what we can help transition so this started to leak in, right, to to people who were who were having animals who were who were transitioning. And so what became more popular was at home euthanasia. So there are a lot of services now where you can have a vet come to your home. So you don't need to move the dog. You can okay. you can do whatever you need to do right there. You can do ritual right there. You can do grieving right there. You can be supported. It's not much more expensive uh, in most cases than taking an animal to the vet. Uh, and you don't need to move them, which particularly for cats is very helpful because cats the majority of them, they don't like cars, folks. They just, they just don't. Um, so being able to not move them, you know, is very, very helpful. And looking at what our, what are our rituals, what are our, what I call habituals, what are the practices that we do after that moment where they have tra- transitioned? And what what grief and it's very interesting. Grief, grief and bereavement theory tells us two things. There's one school of thought that says we need closure. And there's another school of thought that says we need enduring connections. And so you'll find people uh, for one or the other may be comforting. So for your friend, the idea of having a closure was very important, something that was solid. For some people, the idea of the enduring connection of I want to be able to talk to the animal. I want to be able to keep my connection to the animal. I want to be able to do these things. Um, it is important. And what we have found in, in a lot of the research is that's very healthy for us. 
it is not unhealthy for us to talk to a cat or a dog who's passed on. It's actually very helpful for us. And some spiritual traditions will tell us it's helpful for them too. Uh, you know, so, so I remain open to all of these things as possibilities. And I think it depends on you as a person and your mm-hmm. relationship with that animal as to what you, uh, what you are feeling, what you are intuiting uh, is, is the, is the proper way for that relationship, you know, you know, the animal, right? You know, the animal best. And so what do you think would be helpful, but being able to prepare for that, um, being able to have some, you know, candles that are around being able to have some sacred words picked out that might be useful at the moment of transition, being able to, uh, if you're a music maker, to, I've done some beautiful, beautiful transitions where we've sang through the transition, you know, as, as the animal passes, um, you know, what are those kind of things? All of that beauty we put into our human ritual, we can put that into animal mm. as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I just remember the most, something that he would not have done is they all went by, um, they all took turns telling her goodbye and what she had met and um stories came out from his children that he hadn't known about so he talked again that was the only the only person i know who've had any similar experience and he talked about how meaningful it is do you think animals have spiritual lives i do and we have some research that tells us they do so here tell us about that yeah like i love some science with my spirituality i gotta tell you i like i like both ends of the coin um, as if they're opposites. I think they're actually probably different languages for talking about our experience here on earth. Um, but what we find is we have these folks now called neurotheologians. And what they do is they study what happens to the brain when we do practices. So what happens when you have monks who pray every day for an hour? What happens to a rabbi who goes into a cat scan machine and sings the Shema? What happens to nuns who are doing praying? What happens to people who are chanting kirtan? What is lighting up in our brain? What, what is happening when we're having what we might call spiritual experiences or transcendence or you know connection to whatever it is that we're connecting to? And what they find is there's certain areas of our brains which get lit up. Not, not surprising, right? That get lit up. Now, what's fascinating is those brain structures we share with cats, dogs, primates, horses, and a few other species. Mm-hmm. So if we have these brain structures that enable us to have these transcendent experiences, why would these animals not? Why would they not be have the capacity for having the same thing while they're living to be able to have connections? So when you look at, you know, a, a you know, a dog who's just kind of staring off, right, mm-hmm. just staring off into the distance and people say, oh, oh, he's bored or, oh, he's waiting for food. Well, maybe not. Maybe he's like mm-hmm. completely fully in the present moment. Maybe he's having some sort of connection. Um the, another another piece of work that's happened um, starting in the 1980s is, is Jane Goodall's work. And she has studied chimpanzees and studied uh, some other folks have studied other primates. And they've looked at what do they do in ritualization? 
And they find that the way that they respond to water, the way that they respond to um, sunrises, there's different dimensions where they are doing things that are ritualized based on awe and wonder and grandeur, and they're doing them in community. And so they're doing things that we would call, you know, religious, or we would call spiritual, Spiritual. right? That there are, there are um, animals who are doing these things. And so they clearly have the capacity to do it. We're seeing some of the species doing it. So I think that we can, we can, um, we can say pretty confidently that they have those connections while they're on earth. Then there's the other question that comes up where people ask about spiritual lives after they pass. So, you know, when you have that thing where you feel like the cat jumped on the bottom of the bed and then you look down and there's no cat there. But you're, right. I haven't yeah, actually experienced that myself. Yeah. But you're pretty sure that that was your cat, Ringo. Mm-hmm. You she can feel. All of a sudden, you just feel that energy and you just know. You, these kind of things have, are also very interesting. When we look at near-death experiences, when we look at um, shamanistic types of communication, when we look at different ways of going between between realms or between um, experiences of life, Uh, I think all of these, you know, anything that we're willing to say is possible for humans, I'm willing to say is possible for some species as well. Uh, For a long, long time, the Christian church got itself all wrapped up in the conversation about animals and animal souls and has been trying to back its way out of it ever since. Pope Francis has gotten pretty close (laughs) to to getting there, Um, you know, but what what the soul question often carries with it a Christian background. So when that comes up, there's usually a Christian background with it. And it usually comes up because someone's been told that humans have souls and animals don't. don't. Yeah. And so, you know, that's where this divide and, and we don't only, you know, Aristotle started it. The church didn't start it. Aristotle started it. And, you know, you can, you can track it through and it was a way of us making ourselves different, making ourselves more superior. uh, That's where I was going more important, more superior and, and um, dominion and the Mm -hmm. right to do whatever we'd like to do to lesser creatures, so-called lesser creatures. Yeah. So, so I, I will firmly say that whatever, whatever we're entertaining is possible for humans in an afterlife or a spiritual life after they've transitioned. Um, I am willing to say we should, we should definitely consider that for other species as well. Absolutely. And I was going to ask you about animals view on death. My father, who is no longer with us, he's recently passed. He, um, we laughed. He had, he's had two dogs that he adored and, uh, and we used to laugh, my sisters and I, who are adults, like, you know, we wish daddy loved us as much as he did his dogs. But anyway, we laughed because he was crazy about these dogs and he got, he got critically ill and, um, should have went to a facility where he could get IVs and get things. And he would not, he came home because he wanted to see his dog. And so, Again, um, when he passed, um, I remember him coming home for the last time and she was so excited and didn't have his side. And then I know when he passed, 
she wouldn't eat for a while. Yeah. And nobody, I mean, he had been gone before, but it was really different for her. And it was almost like she knew. Tell me about your thoughts about that. Yeah. And there's two things in there, Deborah. I, I do want to touch on the first thing that we do have a lot of people who um, will delay going into assisted living or will not go into addiction recovery if they need it, or will not have surgery if they need it because um, of their uh, relation, because the facility that they're going to go to won't allow an animal. That's a whole area of work that, that animal chaplains, animal advocates are are working on very, very hard and veterinary social workers and, and different folks to try to change some of those systems and, and point that out. But there are some organizations. Um, and if anyone's in that situation, you know, y'all can email me at, at sacred sendoffs at gmail.com. Um, if you're finding yourself in that situation where you need some services and, and you're not able to, um, and I will point right. you towards some of the organizations that can help out in those situations. Um, but we do know that animals grieve and we have seen some fascinating, fascinating things. I talk a lot about animal grief in the book, Sacred Sendoffs. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorite stories about is about Oscar the hospice cat um, mm-hmm. who lived at a certain hospice and and would show up at someone's door, someone who was there, an, a, a, an elderly person who was at the at the hospice, right before they died. And it was so keen that the mm-hmm. staff there and the doctor there started realizing when Oscar comes to the room, call the family because that person's about ready to pass. <laughs> Isn't and, that interesting? And it was just like clockwork that, you know, would sense, would know. And I think right. those of us, those of us who um, have particularly strong relationships with felines, and I count myself as one of those people, uh, mm-hmm. I can get that, can get that, that cats, the cats understand these things before they happen. Um, but we've seen corvids, so crows, oh, People who love mm-hmm. crows look up crow grief because corvids mm-hmm. are not only amazingly smart, uh, but they do beautiful, beautiful ritual around death. So they will actually gather around um, someone who's passed on. A kind of interesting thing that they often do is they will actually um, have sex mm-hmm. uh, as part of that ritual. Um, sometimes on top of the animal who has passed, which is a kind of an interesting look at life and birth and the way mm-hmm. that and the, the cycle that, and the cycle and the way that people mm-hmm. may grieve. So looking at, at bird grief, elephants will return to where the bones of their ancestors are buried year after year after year. Mm-hmm. Elephants have been known to bury um, sleeping humans who they thought were dead with sticks and foliage because they were trying to bury them. That's so funny. Just sleeping. Uh, and you will see it in, in dogs and cats if a member of your household dies, which is another really great reason if you're having a transition to have it at home and to allow mm-hmm. the other animals in the home uh, after that animal has transitioned to come up, to sniff the body, to mm-hmm. be able to be present. Uh, mm-hmm. And understand that that they understand mm-hmm. that 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 being has has gone on, uh, so that they don't keep looking for them, um, mm-hmm. and then treating them with respect while they grieve. They're grieving too, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Fido lost spots, so 
he may not want to eat so much and he may not want to go for a walk Mm -hmm. and that's okay. Allow him some space uh, to be able to grieve as well. Mm -hmm. Some other things um, that I have seen recently, and I know in your book, you talk about, and I wanted to talk about meditating with animals, but um, my sister, I believe it was my sister has um, done yoga at a farm and it's basically goat yoga where the goats kind of walk around or whatever. And she talked about what an energy and happiness, and it just kind of bubbles up. Um, And so it's interesting seeing people incorporate things. Talk to us about meditating with an animal, which again, I, um, I had two cats. They both passed in the last year or so. Um, One, um, um, not as much interested, but I, I had what I call a circle cat. Anytime I did ritual or lit a healing candle, he was, <laughs> he right was there. there. And and somebody in my group made a comment. He's really spiritual. And I said, no, I think he's just trying to suck up the energy. I just think he likes energy. <laughs> and he just comes. But it was interesting to me that I had one animal that kind of participated and one that did not. So uh, talking to us about meditating with animals. Yeah, I've also noticed that some animals understand ritual quite well, which makes sense because Mm -hmm. animals have rituals themselves. So Mm -hmm. when they start to notice, oh, the lady's lighting the candles again, you know, that that, that they start to get tuned into something is happening here and that they can feel feel the energy, you know, I I suppose and understand, you know, what's going on. Have a lot of animals that show up for when I do ritual outside, have a lot of animals that show up. And I bet you do. It's it's really quite impressive. But the, you know, to on the meditation side here's the thing to remember dogs inside our homes especially we tend to play with we tend to walk we tend to interact with in ways that are that are energy based and what happens when we sit next to them don't touch them mm-hmm. slow your breathing chill out and rest next to them mm-hmm. Well, it's fascinating. A study was done during the during the COVID pandemic that did this between canine and human pairs, and what they found was that the uh, the heart rate of the humans and of the animals decreased. Their level of stress decreased. They were meditating too. So they're they're at least resting, right? <laughs> which which very much meditation is a restful kind of mm-hmm. kind of pose for us, right? It's a way of a way of resting the mind, a way of resting the body. So being able to be with animals like that, where you're just near them, but not touching and just start to attend to your breathing, just slower and slower, right? And for five or 10 minutes and and, and see how that goes, see what happens. Um, and it really can have a, a great, a great impact on them. Um, the other things to try is is music. Um, we often don't think about using music with animals. I have a cat uh, who loves whale songs. 
You put whale songs on and that cat who has shelter trauma and is quite skittish most of the time and and, and usually has his tail down and which for cats is, you know, he's kind of the in the scared in the scared position. Uh, you put those whale songs on. He rolls over on his back. All four feet are flayed out and he is in full on relax. That's so, so fun. It, it is. And, and, you know, practices like Reiki, of course, can be very yeah. helpful as well. Um, mm-hmm. different, and, and, and these are different ways of talking about the same thing. We're talking about energy. We're talking about being aware of our energy. Um, if we are people who come loud into the house, slamming doors, yelling across to our partner, yelling to the kids, this kind of stuff, that's difficult on animals in our home. It, so attending to, you know, really, really being aware of them and being more mindful in general in our homes instead of yelling from room to room at each other and clomping through in our boots and these kind of things can also be very helpful for animals. Yeah, that's really, that's really fun. I know it's funny. It made me think when we would do ritual again, cats and candles sometimes get a little scary. Yeah, it does. (laughs) But I have to say he never knocked anything over. He would weave in it, but I laugh because we would start to do things and he would jump up on the table and I'm like, and and I had someone say he obviously was Egyptian in his former life. <laughs> this is all for him. So, um, but yeah, I definitely have had an uh, uh, an animal that was really drawn to spiritual things, and yeah. and that would do that. And it's interesting. My other feline, who was not, if I was upset or grieving or stressed, she was not. He was um, a lover boy. She was not. She was kind of aloof. But she's the one that always would come to me and sleep with me and comfort me, which was so interesting because that wasn't her normal personality. Yeah, it, we are very attuned to the animals that we live with. And then we we can become very attuned. And especially those of us who include the earth in our in our spiritual path mm-hmm. and, and concern for habitats within our spiritual path that we can start to become very aware of the environment around us. I prefer habitat to nature because it reminds us that people live there, that beings live there. Um, So we become attuned to our habitats and what's going on there. And then I think what can happen in eco-spirituality and what can happen is we start to say, oh, I love being in nature. Nature makes me feel good. And then we stop there. And what we don't do is go the extra step, which is to say, what does the what does the state of this habitat look like? What are the challenges in this habitat? You know, who's having problems? Are, you know, is there encroachment in this area? Are there hazardous materials in this area that perhaps I can help remove? Are there any kind of arguments that are going on? We have a fracking uh, and um, and a quarry that's going on down the road from us, and there's a turtle that's endangered. So we're now involved in trying to get um, the the DEC to come and, you know, mitigate on behalf of the turtles, you know, so that we're not just using nature, you know, for our human uses to feel better. And kind of talking about animals in a very general way, right? Talking about species in a very general way. But can we also be responsible 
to those animals in those habitats and make sure that we are not doing things that can injure them or harm them. If we're walking in the woods, staying on paths so that we're not stepping on little creepy crawlies who might be right out underneath somewhere else, making sure we're not stepping through spider webs, becoming so attuned to the area that we're sharing with them. And then the same thing with any... Uh, and this gets particularly interesting when we start talking about ritual, um, making sure that any products that we're buying, that we're using for ritual, aren't cruel to animals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, can we make sure that, uh, let's look at our candles and let's mm-hmm. see what those candles are made of and how those candles are made. Right, which why right? people go to soy? Absolutely. And, you know, can we make sure that, you know, an animal didn't, you know, end up in some sort of horrific captive situation in order to be plucked to make feathers, you know, so that this beautiful headdress could be made, right? What are, and so, so that requires us to look at where we're sourcing anything that doesn't come to us, you know, in that way that we might see as a gift, you know, when you're walking along, right. there's a feather on the ground and you're like, right. yes, that's mine. Um, right. you know, and, and what, you know, how do we, how do we respond to that? So I, I think that's something for, for those of us who are looking at these practices to be aware of, um, what is be our impact? Yeah, right. what's our impact and how can we make right. sure that we get involved? And awareness, in what I may have done five years ago, maybe because I've learned more, doesn't fit for today. Oh, it totally. And that right. and that has very much happened to me along the way as I started to get like- Myself included. Yeah. And all of a sudden I was like, hey, maybe I want a synthetic drum instead. <laughs> you know, like, right. there were, Absolutely. There were different, and, different and not just with steps. this, with a lot of different practices, you <laughs> grow and evolve. Yeah. That's what yeah. makes this so much fun. It does. It does. And so I think, you know, when we share our world, here's my favorite fact for you, Deborah. I can't leave you without sharing my favorite, favorite fact, which is that human life on this planet is 0.01% of life on the planet. 0.01% is us. We're barely there. (laughs) 99.99% of life on the planet is other than human. Yeah. Isn't that about that for a second? Isn't that wonderful and amazing and phenomenal? And if we could live with that kind of attunement, that it's not all here for us, it's not all here for us. And, you know, and keep that in our mind that we are, we are amazingly small, even though we like to be amazingly big. Right. Uh, and take that into our spirituality. I think that is that would be an animal chaplain's number one piece of advice is Absolutely. just remember it's not all here for us. Absolutely. Well, and and we're going to be um um Sarah is teaching next, so we're going to be cutting this a little bit short. But before we leave, if someone is interested in this in animal chaplaincy, um tell our listeners what they can do next. Absolutely. So first off, go to sacredsendoffs.com, which is the website for the book. It also has links to our animal chaplaincy training program. I'm also doing some trainings for those of you on the East Coast at Omega Institute. I'm also doing some online courses. So there's some, you know, kind of one day animal chaplaincy courses. We've got a um, one coming up this spring for animal 
funerals, all sorts of different things. If you want to kind of dip in, yeah, dip in a little bit into this. Uh, We've got the book Sacred Sendoffs there. And I also have, we have some sacred uh, sendoff memorial kits for those of you who love ritual. Uh, and you might have had a pet loss or someone you love has a pet loss. We have some um, some kits with some rituals that you can kind of mess around with. Uh, so if you go to sacredsendoffs.com, uh, that'll kind of get you to all the different things. Also have some resources there for um, tips for aging with cats and dogs, uh, special words, you know, sacred words that you can use at different moments and, and different resources. So give that, give that a shot. And then if you want to talk animal chaplaincy and you have questions and you, you might want to jump into our nine month training program, uh, you know, you can contact me right through the website. I'd be happy to talk to any of you about that. All right. Well, thank you very much today. Today was wonderful. This was really really good and i was so glad to meet you at parliament do Me you have another too. book in the works do you have another <laughs> book in the works i do we've got another one in the works so perhaps we'll we'll circle back ah circle back i would again. love to have you come back absolutely yeah. this was wonderful and again a subject that uh, i've got already a lot of feedback before the show and i think it's gonna be i think it's just the beginning of something that will eventually hopefully become mainstream well, I appreciate you lifting it up. I am always delighted to meet folks from Circle Sanctuary and from other groups who are doing similar types of work. I'm so grateful all of you are out in the world doing what you're doing and look forward to connecting with more of you. All right. Well, thanks. Our time together is almost at a close. So we want to thank Sarah for taking the time to chat with us on Circle Talk. I know our listeners are going to enjoy her newest book, Sacred Sendoffs, an animal chaplain's advice for surviving animal loss, making life meaningful and healing the planet by Sarah A. Bowden. Um, And you can get it on her website or Amazon. Besides Sarah, I want to thank Steve, our sound engineer, for his technical expertise. And finally, I'd like to thank all of you, our listeners, for your continued support of all of our shows here on Circle Sanctuary Network Podcast or CSNP. Please join us for our next Circle Talk on October 3rd as we explore the Tarot of Vampires deck by Charles Harrington. This Rider Waite Smith based deck resurrects vampire archetypes for a new age. These children of the night are modern, nuanced, and deadly creatures who inspire us to unearth forgotten treasures within ourselves. It is really going to be a fun show. Author Charles Harrington reveals insights about his new and thrilling tarot deck and takes us on a journey through the eyes of vampires. You don't want to miss this show. I look forward to being with you all again, so please come back. Good night, everyone, and blessed be. Thank you for joining us on the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast presented by Circle Sanctuary and produced for all who follow nature-centered paths. Join us throughout the week for various programming connecting with the community around the world. Please don't forget to watch for updates on the Circle Sanctuary website at www.circlesanctuary.org. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash CSN podcasts. We can also be found on your favorite podcast hosting sites such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and others. Until next time, many blessings. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.